Today's episode is about AWS Network. Welcome to a new episode of DevSecOps Talks with me, Matthias, Andre, and Julian. AWS Network. Andre, help here. Can you, can, you, can you guide us a little bit from like the basic down to the advanced different types of network? I think a lot of us are stuck in the, in the beginning setup. Yes. So <clears throat> I actually planned that as a solo episode. Yeah. Just, you know, me sitting with a microphone. But I think I, I need to be seated. And it's nice to have a company. Are you saying you I, need I, my stupid questions here coming in, right? I, I think they come in handy. <laughs> and uh, I even wrote a script. But now it's really? stuck in the chat GPT. Yeah. But it's like a chat GPT because the login window cannot determine the location of the country and cannot apply the restrictions. <laughs> I cannot get the chat history. And they also had the issues with the history of the chat history like a week or two weeks ago. Anyhow, yeah. we're going to go off the script. And um, we're going to be learn. talking about, yeah, we're going to be talking about AWS VPC networking. And in my notes, I had all dates right. Now I'm going to get them on the top of my head, so there might be mistakes. But never mind, they will be uh, somewhat close, because I would like to start with a little bit of historic overview of how it all came about and where it usually ends for a typical person who deals with AWS. That would be you, me. I, I, I see more of you. Uh, I, I think more of you, anyhow. So when AWS started, uh, and when many other clouds started back in the days, if we just forget about AWS for now and think of DigitalOcean or Linode yeah. or what have you, take a DigitalOcean example, they basically were selling you a virtual machines in a, some big network. You couldn't see other virtual machines. You had a public IP address, and this is what you had. You had a virtual machine with a public IP address. And AWS started pretty much with the same type of operating. Now, if you Google EC2 Classic, this is what it is. I think in 2023, it's pretty much phased out, and they were phasing it out last years. But uh, yeah, so this is in the past. And then I believe it was uh, 2013 when they introduced VPC concept, virtual private cloud, which means that yeah. you have a virtual network where your workloads will be placed, your virtual machines, and you will have internet gateway to let internet traffic in, and you could have like uh, subnets in there, so you could segregate the network. You could have uh, public facing subnets. You could have private subnets behind the NAT. Now they even have a uh, <coughs> now even they even have um, IPv6, so the NAT is not as important there as it used to be in IPv4. But I don't don't yeah. think that many people use. Still, IPv6, so it's, I think that the but problem is, is IPv4 should get more harder before yeah. people start doing more IPv6. Yeah, but that's one question. Like, is 
have you ever seen a fully IPv6 network like in your life? Uh, no, I, 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 I have to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, can, can somebody tell me why? And I, I, tr I tried to dig a little bit into that, into IPv6. Uh, sorry to hijack. Like this is really a, a question or an existential question of mine is <laughs> why are we still using IPv4? Hmm. I tell I you. do not understand. Like why are we in the climate crisis? That's yeah. most substantial issue. And we still yeah, keep doing it. Was, it, it it's also yeah. funny because we can see Julian, and before it was a little bit slow, like, yeah, it'd been a hard week. But now, I mean, his eyes are like glowing here with rage against <laughs> IPv4. No, it's not, it's not rage. I, I'm, I'm genuinely like, you, you know, they, I mean, I've set up a bunch of Kubernetes cluster, and I would say like IPv4 starving was like you, you run out of IPv4 into ah. a subnet quite quickly, ah. I would say. Uh, and, and I'm like, why why not IPv6? Yeah. I, is, is it because the hardware is not upgraded? Is it like... Uh, I think it might be software, actually, because, for instance, AWS supports IPv6 tag, but then it's also your software that needs to be able to talk IPv6, right? Like, yeah. Kubernetes got IPv6 support, not that far ago. Yeah. True, true. I, I guess it takes a while to change those underlying uh, but layers. Go, going back to, to the topic, let's, let's go back. what you're describing here, Andre, is like the, the default setup of a, a network, you know, the same but setup. This is what people see today. It's the like same you. network as you have like on your servers. You have like a firewall, yeah. like a gateway, and then you have different subnets, like uh, huh. DMC or like database and those things. So the VPC just gives you the same functionality as a regular uh, network that you have with switches. Yeah, this, 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 yeah. this is why it's called virtual private cloud. It's your virtual private yeah. network, pretty much like a yeah. uh, data center, if you like. Um, yeah. And then this is what people see today when they sign up for AWS, they get the AWS account, and there they will yeah. have a default VPC with a couple of public subnets, default security group, internet gateway. So they don't need to think much to start using it so they can you know, launch the virtual machine on what have they, and they will have internet available. Like this is what the most of the people who start with AWS without having an idea about the public cloud expect to use or expect yeah. to find, or expect to get. Like the professionals who knows what they're after, <clears throat> they will come in, obviously they will configure, they will create a new VPC, they will not be using default VPC, and, and so on and so on. And then those VPCs might have a little bit more complex layout with a private, with a public subnets, maybe with some infra subnets, what have you. So you, you, you could structure it differently. Uh, but I would say it's also where it pretty much ends for many people. It does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people like, well, I got my VPC and this is what I have, and I I I want to do something with this. Yeah, and but it's, um, it's like the default, like what what you're used to from a data center, right? Hmm. So if if you're coming from that background, you're kind of happy here, right? VPC, internet coming in, subnets. 
But I'm guessing yeah, there and, are and, and, and it's good for some time because yeah. like I work with the scale ups, which are growing startups, and uh, I I see this picture all over again. So they have the, the VPC, they have dev stage production. Each yeah. will have its own VPC, but then they want to do multi regions. Yeah, and things starts to get complicated if you like. In other clouds, like Google Clouds, I think they have uh, global networking, right? Yes. You can correct me. But at AWS, it's original for good or bad. So it has its benefits, it has its downsides, and this is one's downsides where you actually need to think through your network and yeah. think how you're gonna be going about that. And then one of the options the path of least resistance, I would say, is a VPC peering, yeah. which allows you to connect one VPC to another. It works across the regions, and uh, this is what people do. But then uh, it comes with a couple of <laughs> considerations that you need to have. Yeah. Uh, your IP block, your CIDR, that you have for one VPC should not overlap with a VPC that you're about to peer because yeah. then the routing becomes impossible. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's, that's a complication. But I mean, yes. uh, sorry, two VPCs then. You have one VPC in different accounts or you have different regions and then that you want to connect them with each other, right? Yeah, so the, the typical use case would be uh, your disaster recovery scenario, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. For, for resilience, you want to have a multiple regions. So if one if uh, one region starts to suffer, there are some outages, you could switch your traffic to another region. Yeah. And uh, for some reasons, you might need to have a network connectivity between the regions so if they're not fully self-sufficient. I think of databases, maybe you're running some services that sync up to one another. Maybe it's connected Kubernetes clusters. There are yeah. so many options you can get there. And uh, again, you need to think about that in advance and you need to keep a list of ciders you have just in case you would need to connect them, and it might become messy quite quickly. Yeah. Science. Then if you add two more VPCs in the mix and you need to connect all of them, yeah, the routing becomes complicated and you cannot do a transit routing, right? So you could only route from point A to point B, and if yeah. point B to point Connect to point C. You can actually you you kind of just go through like that to, to C. You just oh. need you you need to have endpoint and B where you go, and then from B you go to C. Yeah. So it, it does complicate things. And another thing that complicates it is the fact that you would do not if you do IPv4. Oh, that was Russian. Sorry, IPv4. Yeah. Uh, then you would have a NAT gateway and you could be cheap and you could have a NAT gateway as an easy to instance that basically routes the traffic from your private 
subnet to your public subnet and then out to the internet, and it has a public IP address, and then the, all, everything that's behind it doesn't have the public IP address, and they're hidden behind the NAT gateways. But if you're running managed service, well, it's expensive. For instance, mm. if you do availability zones, which you should, like because yeah. you have two, then you have two NAT gateways in each availability zone. Yeah. So, and then if you have the same stuff that you repeat over dev and stage, right, for instance, or multiple accounts vertically. So I usually imagine that as a horizontal, horizontal distribution and vertical distribution. And with vertical, you could have like dev, on top of that you have stage, on top of that you have prod, and you're promoting up yeah. your changes, but you could also have a horizontal spread where you have development for your backend account with its own VPC. And then you have development for your data engineering stuff in another VPC, right? And this is another thing that people don't think much about. They usually have dev stage prod for their backend, and then they need to do analytics. And uh, usually that in the early stage, they don't really have a foresight where the whole thing is going. And uh, there might be also limited access to competency. So they would just take the analytics and jump into the production together with uh, backend. And because this is where database is, right? Yeah. And that will become a big issue down the road. I mean, I, I see this all over again, like with the customers we work with, pretty much all, all of them do that. And then, then it takes some time to stop and think, how, how do we structure our networks? And this is where all those concepts that we're going to be talking about will come in play handy. Then finally, a few more things with, uh, <coughs> with uh, VPCs and VPC peering. Uh, there are peering limits, so there are uh, actually a limited number of VPCs you can peer, as with everything in AWS, there are soft limits that you can increase, there are hard limits, so when you're building up the network, you need to consider those to know what what, uh, limits you will have there. And uh, but on the bright side, with this type of approach, when you have like a VPC peer account, for instance, it's also easy to manage because, for instance, you want to experiment with a network access list to block certain type of traffic on your network. And then if you do it in one VPC, it doesn't affect another one. Yeah. So you have those the sandboxing with a limited blast radius if you do a mistake. So that's the that's positive side of this. Then uh, AWS introduced something called transit gateway which people also use to connect across uh, across um, regions and it has its uh, benefits comparing to the VPC peering but uh, one of the things that you need to consider there is that it is managed service as and as with many managed services, it also has its limits. So it might have have, uh, limits in bandwidth, 
And if you have a spiky network, and I don't remember who was it, was it Slack? It might, I, I, don't quote me on this, I had all of that in my notes, but one of the well-known names uh, in the uh, internet industry actually suffered outage because they were try, trying to fall over another region and then it was like a spike of traffic going through the transit yeah. gateway and transit gateway failed to scale fast enough. Yeah. And then there were like a ripple effect out of it. So this is something to consider. But uh, what I actually want to talk today, and there are a lot of other constructs, like uh, Global Accelerator, for instance, that's something yeah, that, that they added, which is, we could talk someday, but there is a concept that being introduced, uh, I think it was introduced in 2018, but now it's actually gaining popularity, and this is VPC sharing. Usually it's referred as VPC sharing, but the concept is actually like this name is misleading. So there is a thing called AWS Resource Access Management or Manager. And uh, if you ever wrote S3 bucket policy, you will understand RAM, which is Resource Access Manager, quite easily because some resources in uh, AWS has a policy that defines access to it. So you could have a resource-based policy and the resource can say, I allow that account to read from me and I allow that account to write to me, right? And yeah. it's uh, it's true for S3 packets, ECR repositories, and uh, I think uh, SQS queues and stuff like that. So, and uh, RAM takes all of that to the next level. So with VPC, you don't have uh, ability to write those type resource of poli resource policies. But what you could do is to say, is to have an account that will be your networking account, and uh, you create VPC in there. You create subnets, and then you say, well, through Resource Access Manager, you say, I want to give those subnets to this account. And if you go to that account, you suddenly see subnets popping up there. Wow. And uh, you could see in the AWS console that the owner is different account, but you yeah. could start you can start workloads and those subnets. And so and those workloads will be able to uh, get security groups defined in a security account, and they will be able to communicate with everything that is running in the same subnet, or what have what what network rules you have there for the for the <clears throat> for the routing. Which means if you have this uh, horizontal and vertical uh, overview of your organization and your accounts, the vertical doesn't change that much. You still have your dev, stage, prod, and in perfect scenario, you do not want to have any traffic going between them. You want to have them isolated. But in your horizontal scale, then you could have your backend account sharing subnets with the analytics account, and you could have like a shift in analytics, you could have your Kubernetes cluster, or what have you, or ECS in your, in your backend account. And then you will have a separation on IAM level, but they still communi can communicate easy 
on the network level plus you could save on the NAT costs because you could still use a shared NAT and yeah. all of them will go through the same NAT gateway giving you a common choke point yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. So you could also have uh, traffic inspection devices if 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 it's required, right? Yeah. So since now you don't have all those VPCs across many accounts, you might have like one big VPC or a couple of VPCs peer together, but those subnets are shared across many more accounts, and you control all your network within one account. And the benefit here is that. Uh, that the client account that gets those networks, they cannot modify the stuff that you define in a network account because they they can access it, but they cannot modify it. If you're familiar with how Fargate works, if you run, for instance, your ECS containers on Fargate, you would uh, get ENI popping up in your VPC and then suddenly you have a container running behind that ENI. It's very similar how it works. So you basically Mm -hmm. let Amazon you share the subnet with Amazon, and then Amazon runs something in your subnet. And I, I think that's a very powerful concept, which else, I mean, everything comes with its downsides, right? So you will still have to think about cross-region, how you do that. Yeah. Uh, then uh, since you start to share subnets between multiple accounts, it means that one VPC will have much more users comparing to the VPC pair account scenario, which means that you need to have a beefy subnet with a, a lot of IPs available, right? So, goods and bads, but uh, the I, I, I'm going to say something else. So, the RAM allows you to share not only VPC, they're actually adding more and more resources that you can share. So, for instance, you can share glue databases, which is very handy when you do a cross-account write. Oh, cool. And like access to glue crawlers. So uh, there are a lot of interesting concepts that are becoming available now through Resource Access Manager. But, yeah. but can you share with like a client also, right? It's another account. I mean, yeah. if I have this global and then we have this other company that want to integrate with us and they have yeah. AMS, I just make a, a VPC, share it with them and then just the VPC to connect our stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that could be used for the managed services, for instance. Yeah. Client um, can give you access to their subnet and then you run something exactly. for the client yeah. in that subnet. And they don't need to give you an access to the whole account. And that they can also define uh, what is available from there. Because it's another problem with VPC peering, right? So yeah. you have quite, you're opening your gates quite wide between two VPCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could still limit it, but generally speaking, people don't do it. Yeah. So you just have almost all subnets available from one VPC to, to another. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's how people usually set it up. And then it's complex to manage the access and uh, prevent people from accessing to what they need to access. Like we spoke about VPN and zero trust-based setups, right? Yeah. So it's, it's very similar here. With VPN, you're getting access to the network, and then you are trusted within the perimeter and you can access everything within the network. And with okay. zero trust solutions, 
you usually have access to certain services within the network based on your identity. Yeah. So the same here, but this is this is a concept that uh, is being used. It's being mentioned. I mean, VPC sharing, zero trust is obviously being used as well. But we're talking about VPC sharing today, and uh, this is what I wanted to focus on. That it's an alternative to VPC peering between accounts, uh, and uh, I think this is something that people should be considering in 2023. Yeah, because it's, that uh, will uh, allow you to do very interesting things for security and for network simplification. Yeah, and I think also for like connecting with other clients and stuff. I mean, imagine if you had this like on, on Metal, you have a subnet and you want to share the subnet with a client. I mean, yeah. the only way today is like setting up VPN tunnels and yeah. all that stuff. But I mean, if you're in AVS, you can just share the subnet with the client and like, okay, let's meet here. It's local private network here where we can talk with each other over, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, it's really interesting concept, and then and, yeah. Oh, so this oh. is something something to consider. Yeah. We share. Okay. That's funny because uh, on, I think Google had VPC sharing since two thousand eighteen or nineteen. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's more or less the same concept. That you you define you you it's the hub and spoke spoke model. So if you are in one VPC, you want to reach another VPC. Yeah. You you go through the VPC sharing. So yeah. all all the network goes there, and for uh, audit and everything, they 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 could actually see what goes what goes on. And yeah, the 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 routes are propagated from one network to the to all the others. So it's hmm. a the, the the access control is it's kind of at least on on Google Cloud I, I haven't mm. dug deeper in AWS uh, I would say it's also the the main cause because you run out of IP really fast and yeah. w- which is really why people should consider as well migrating to uh, IPv6 mm. but I I have no idea I, I'm sure there are some edge cases you know like what if you I don't know, you use a service that requires an IP range <laughs> and suddenly it's like, oh no, we don't support IPv6. Mm-hmm. So you have to have dual stack yeah. in your yeah. in your network and then yeah. you're, you're like losing your hair over yeah. <laughs> debugging the network instead of uh, well, making uh, things work. Uh, like what you could do is basically have like Amazon allows you to have dual stack ILBs, but then you can have IPv6 on the network behind it. Yeah. Ah. So, people, so people can still connect over IPv4, but then it's being yeah. converted to IPv6 behind. Yeah. I haven't tried okay. it myself, so might be wrong. But, uh, uh, I know is, that I, you, I heard that possible. Yeah, you can encapsulate IPv4 inside the IPv6 package because it's like the header of the IPv4 is much smaller than the header of the IPv6. Yeah. But the opposite makes no sense at all because you wouldn't get much... Yeah. Uh, you, you have no space for data. It's just going to be headers. And yeah. so the, your, the overhead of your network is it's just not efficient at all. Yeah. That's so we'll see what will happen first. 
switch yeah. to IPv6 or the global climate crisis? <laughs> I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> no, but I, I this is a, when I, I talk to network engineers, like, yeah, but it's it's not easily readable. And I, I can understand, you know, now you have mm. you have letters mm. in the, there is some there is some tricks that you cannot use with IPv6 anymore. And uh, yeah, your side range becomes huge. So I guess there is a bit of mental work to, to be done there, which is not not easy at all. And I can understand. It's just uh, this uh, starvation of IPv4. Is, yeah, but also uh, all uh, you know security considerations like the the whole all security guys need to rethink how they do security. True, yeah. true. Yeah, I, I all heard those perimeters, and now like everything can go out to the internet. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, so I think on Amazon you have egress only NAT for IPv6. So I think you could have that as a choke point because you need to have a choke point. So somehow, like if you if you find yourself in a data exfiltration scenario, you see that your data is is going somewhere else, yeah. and like you're in the middle of it. If you're lucky, you spot it. You got to do something about it. You want to choke your network? Yeah. But I like those uh, scenario where you have a big red button that says like, <laughs> you know, it's like in the action movie, you have like a press and everything shuts down. But then you have like, it wasn't an ad, a job ad for ChatGPT, some guy standing with, be able to shut everything down. Okay. I don't know about the ChatGPT. But yeah, I, I, think yeah. Mr. Putin I, I don't know if, if it's true, but it was posted like a job ad, like standing with your hand on the button to like shut it down <laughs> if you get too wide. Let's see if I can find it, can I edit your notes? Good, good. But uh, I think maybe we come up in a half an hour here, so maybe you should end this network oh. deep dive. Interesting with uh, VPC sharing. Yeah. Uh, something for you guys to consider. Might solve some of your problems. Bring the new ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good to know. It's good to know that you can connect account. And, and with that, we will end this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.